Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. After Stephon Diggs had 12 catches, 148 yards, and three touchdowns against the Bills, or against the Titans, excuse me, I got a chance to talk to Diggs. You can find the full interview on the NFL on NBC YouTube page. Here is part of the conversation that I had yesterday morning with Bills receiver Stephon Diggs. I got a lot of confidence in Josh Allen. Josh Allen gives you that vibe that um, you always got a chance to win. And not only when you're winning or when you're playing, he gives you a chance to feel like you can dominate. He, he gives me confidence. So uh, in the beginning of the game or whether it's the tail end of the game, I want to make as many plays for him because he's one of those guys that get better. Like throughout the game, as he makes plays, as he gets comfortable, he gets better. You saw him throw Past the uh, with uh, Isaiah a little dirty across the middle, and it seems like that ball is supposed to be, you know, uncatchable. He throws a dart in there. So guys that just playing with a lot of confidence, um, he gives everybody confidence. Tyreek got traded obviously this year from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. Devontae Adams from the Packers to the Raiders. AJ Brown from the Titans to the Eagles. How much do you think you help blaze the trail for? <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I it's just business. It's business for the team. It's business for me. I want to move on and. The team accommodates. In the past, like with Terrell Owens in 2005, Eagles were like, no, no, we're not. No, you're stuck here. I feel like you helped lay the foundation for what we've seen this year. Do you feel like that, that what you did has helped get guys in a position where they can move around if they want to? Yeah, I mean, in the old, like, guys playing for the same team for their whole career, and it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great story. You know, everybody wants that. Everybody wants the Kobe story. Everybody wants the story that you play with the same team. You live there, you die there type shit. Like, uh, as far as like, not not literally, but more so you retire there and that kind of thing. So uh, for me, um, I don't want to say I did. I don't think I was the first guy, but I hope I did give guys confidence to go. You know, if you see more for yourself and you believe in yourself, I, I, you can't be scared. You know I mean? And you can't you can't look at it as personal. Don't think don't take things so personal, because when it comes down to business, you see guys get traded all the time. You see guys get cut all the time. And that's just business. And we hang our hat on it being business. So as a professional, keep it business because this is your life. You know what I'm saying you're the CEO of your life. And when you're a part of a team and you and you feel like you um, you, you can contribute to this team or you want to do something else, 
uh, you should you shouldn't feel bad for wanting that for yourself, you know, especially considering that this is a hard job to do. And uh, people don't really people don't really understand how hard this job is mentally. Um, and I, I just want guys to be happy, be happy in your situation, go to work, smile and, and like who you're around all the time. Plenty more. Uh, if you check out the full interview again at the NFL on NBC YouTube page. And I, I asked Diggs about what you were saying yesterday, how he's put on weight. He, yeah. he has put on 10 or 12 pounds. He was 192. He's now 202 to 203 range. Because I, I went back and watched every catch he had Monday night. Chris, he is putting his nose in there. Right. He is not right. waiting to get tackled. He is delivering the blow. I mean, that extra 10 pounds has given him a degree of confidence to be more physical with those big physical defensive backs he encounters. Agreed, agreed. I, I, I noticed it too, Mike. He's looking to catch the ball and not just go like, hey, I'll go down at the first arm tackle or whatever. He's looking to run through tackles. He's catching the ball. And I think to your point, getting right up field and just going, okay, I'm going to put my, you know, put my pads down and try to run between these two guys and get five more yards out of this. You know, and he looks more explosive doing that. So it, it is cool to see. Again, I think it's another piece of information to go, this is a team that's on a mission, him included, and they just seem like they got a special mojo going there right now. He's, he's a phenomenal talent. they got individual phenomenal talents on their team that don't go out of their way to show their individuality. And I think that's where it's, it's, it's really cool, whether it's Josh Allen, Diggs, Von Miller, you know, Micah Hyde or Tredavious White, they all fit in with how they want to play. And I know Tredavious White's hurt right now, but they all fit into what they are as an overall team there. And I think that's why we were talking at the start of the show today. They're easy and fun to root for because of that. And one of the things I love about Stephon Diggs, he, he's, he's almost like a superhero in that when he's away from the field, he's, you know, a different guy. He's so he's normal smiling, and he's cool. Laughing, right, he's right. great. He's fun. To, and then he transforms in a good way yeah. into a badass. He's got everything but the cape when it's time to go play. Yeah. And then he goes back to being the other guy when the game's over. It's, it's just it's amazing. And I'm sure plenty of other guys do that, too. Yeah. But with him, it, it, it may be as charismatic and as, as stunning. Right. Because – there's a clip of him on the sideline after one of his touchdowns on Monday night. He's like, well, that's not the guy we interview, you know, yes, uh, but it's, right. just, it's great to see that change. Yeah, it is. It is. He's, he's got a, he's got a great way, right? He's, we've been around him a few times. He, he couldn't be more fun to be around. He's easy to talk to. He's engaging. He jokes and you know, he's not too uptight just cause we're media or anything like that. He's, he's got a great way. And then of course he's got great physical talent you know, he works hard. His route running is just insane. And you're right. When it's time to go, you know, I had a moment like that in, in the Rams game in the opener with him. You know, I was kind of on the sideline and he was caught and he was doing his work and he was right by me and whatever. And, you know, he looked at me and did that and he was all business, all business. And he went and sat on the bench and he was like, he looked at me again. He was like, come here, give me some love. You know, and he, he said that, give me some love. Mm. You know, and he just, he gave me some love real quick. And he's like, all right. And it just right back to business. So that, that's uh, the attitude of their football team. And, yeah, he's, he's awesome. He looks like he's on a mission this year. Again, like we talked about earlier, I think, to inject himself into the, the top receiver in football conversation once again. He's been top five-ish conversation, top ten-ish. He looks like he's shooting for number one this year. The Dolphins and their fans don't want to give Stephon Diggs any love this weekend when the Bills come to town. Here is Miami coach Mike McDaniel 
on the message to his team as they get ready to face the Bills under his leadership for the first time? The the biggest message is that like you you don't ignore the obvious. You know, the Buffalo Bills have won the division and done an unbelievable job in all three phases. So what better for the Miami Dolphins that's a young team that that is um you know really invested and um you know very very eager to play football what better opportunity than playing um playing the best and seeing where you're at so i think you don't hide from it i think you uh embrace the fact that they're they're a good football team and that um you know there's one way to to um be put in the category of good football teams you beat good football teams not quite as catchy as where would you rather be than right here right now but basically the same message here's your chance here's your opportunity this is why you play the game you measure yourself against the bills how good are we we don't know we're about to find out we're playing the bills yeah that, that's right you know, I, I love that about mike mcdaniel i mean he doesn't seem to hide from from any of that stuff and he's going to show, like, hey, damn, we, hey, look at Josh Allen, look at Diggs, look at their defense. They're damn good. You know, we're good too. But, you know, we got to play our best football. We can't make mistakes, you know, maybe like we did in the first half last week against the Ravens and be down that way. This, I mean, this is, I'm really excited for this. I am. I mean, you got one team that's pretty battle tested and been flirting with the best team in football conversation. And now we get another team of the Dolphins that are young and in the conversation for one of the most talented rosters in football. And I think when you add in, like, you know, the talent conversation, and then when you talk about, whoa, both teams got really good X's and O's on both sides and are creative, that's, that's the part I'm really excited to see. I mean, this is arguably the game of the week for me and for my money. With all the big-time players on the field and then the, the, the matching of, you know, I don't know, in the Dolphins. How much are we going to see that all out this week, that all out blitz? Are you going to do that against Josh Allen and company in this offense? I don't know. I'm just excited to see what they got for him, and I'm excited to see what Leslie Frazier and McDermott got to stop, you know, Hill, Waddle, boom, play action, shoo, 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 because it's the damnedest thing you've ever seen. You turn on a film with the Dolphins offense, and it's like, wait, is it in fast forward right now, or are these guys this damn fast? And they're that damn fast. So that's where it's going to be, you know, a battle of heavyweights there in in this one that I'm excited to see. There's some sneaky great games in the early window this weekend. Bills Dolphins is by far the best. We got Lions Vikings. We got Ravens Patriots. Bengals Jets. Did you really bring up Lions Vikings as the second one after Bills Dolphins? Is that what you? It was the next one. It was the one right next to it. I'm working my way through the stack. I'm just working my way through the stack. But really, we're going to learn a lot about. This is when we really start to learn who these teams are. You're you're. Moving beyond that early phase of the season, you're either getting better, you're getting worse, very rarely staying the same, but the urgency is there. Team like the Bengals going to play the Jets. Jets feeling pretty good after yeah. they steal that win in Cleveland. Right. Bengals staring at 0-3. Uh, and, and, you know, you want to get on the right side of 500. A lot of one-on-one teams out there. You want to get on the right side of 500. But the Bills 2-0, and the Dolphins 2-0, and and uh, both teams looking like they are destined to be playing beyond Week 18. Let's take a break. Coming out of Week 2. The calls that caught our attention that may require 
further discussion and analysis after further review returns for 2022 when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. He's got the ball, quick throw left side, Renfro with a catch. And he breaks one tackle. Then the ball comes out. It's loose. And it's picked up by the Cardinals of midfield. It's picked up by Byron Murphy at the 40, at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Ball game. Byron Murphy picks up the ball at midfield, returns it for a touchdown. And the Cardinals win. Hump day homer call. The scoop and score by Byron Murphy Jr. There's an angle of that, Chris. We showed it on Monday. And I'm 99.9% sure it's Adrian Wilson, the former Cardinals defensive back, who's now in the, working in the front That's him there. in the suit there? In the suit, yeah. I, right. Running, running down the sideline, and then he pulls the Bo Jackson and goes right out the tunnel. He doesn't even go join the celebration. Uh, I'm, I'm awesome. not messing up my suit. That's I'm awesome. out of here. Yeah. I'm gone. Uh, all uh, right. He's that a legend. was one of the more memorable moments of week Two, nothing about that to break down, though, from an officiating standpoint. We're going to look at some of the calls that happened this week, good, bad, or otherwise. These are just things that we think will help folks out there better understand how the rules work and sometimes how they don't work. Here is the call from Thursday night that I think resonated with a lot of people. Asante Samuel Jr., the interception that he made. Now, he initially had it right in his hands and didn't secure the catch. Like father, like son. Sorry. Oh, damn. What a low blow that is. But it's true, right? There it is. You got to make that catch. But then it pops off and he has another shot at it. Now, the ruling on the field, interception. And Peter King made this point on Friday, and it got me taking a closer look at it, looking at the rules, looking at other plays. I had people from other teams pointing out that there is some merit to the idea that that should not have been overturned because, Chris, what's the standard? it must be clear and obvious that the ruling on the field was incorrect. And when you have this weird rule where it can kind of touch the ground, but it can't help you secure possession, and is it ever clear and obvious that it wasn't an interception? Is it clear and obvious? If the ruling on the field was incomplete, there's no clear and obvious evidence that it was. The ruling on the field was it was a completed interception, a successful interception. Is it clear and obvious that it wasn't? I think all too often... They lose sight of the standard because they view this as an opportunity to officiate the play from scratch. Maybe you're right. I I don't, you know, Mike, I I will say when I was watching this on Thursday night, I thought, oh, you know, and again, you know, I got my kids around and had a friend over and watching the game. And I just go, that looks like it did hit the ground or whatever. But, you know, of course, I realized it was controversial. But then looking at it more closely yesterday, you know, I'm totally with you on this one. I really am. I, I don't know how they overturn this. When you call it an interception on the field, I don't know how you can look at any of these angles and go, well, wait, the ball, it doesn't really look like the ball moves from this point on. I don't see the, like, the ground helping it. That left arm is underneath. Like When I watched the game on s- Thursday, I thought, oh, here, here's a moment where it didn't look like either arm was underneath it and it was just between his chest and the ground. But you know, as I watch here and, and watched yesterday, I just go. It, it, it just more every time I watch it, it becomes more clear to go. No, 
that left arm was underneath it. The ball did not move at all, really. It didn't move at all, really, once he kind of had it there and then hit the ground. So I'm with you, and I'm shocked that it did get overturned. I don't think there's enough here to overturn that. I just think any of these where you have to look at it carefully, and I found myself on Friday when Peter and I were talking about it, leaning forward, trying to look at the monitor that's under the camera that we use more carefully. If you have to do that, it's not clear and obvious. Yeah. That's why they shifted responsibility for replay review from the referees in the stadiums to the league office. The idea is if we do it in a more pristine, controlled environment, we're going to be more likely to apply the right standard all the time. But there's still that temptation to forget about the standard and say, I'm looking at this and I think it's not a complete pass. It's not an interception. That's not the standard. Is it clear and obvious the ruling on the field was incorrect? And I said on Friday they should have that painted on the walls at the room in the league office. It should be burned into the carpet. It should be etched into any any wood that they have. It should be clear and obvious, clear and obvious. That is your guiding light. Because if the ruling had been that it wasn't a catch, there's no clear and obvious evidence that it was. Yeah, you flip I, it around, I, there's no clear and obvious you. evidence that it was wrong. I'm so, with you. I, and the I, point I, you I, make too, Mike, the fact that you got to watch it that many times after the call, get close to it, wait, wait, was that a – did it hit the ground? That, that I think that says it all to a degree. I, I was really shocked to see that overturned. I was. Remember, that's why they had a time limit on it. When they first started the second iteration of replay review after that – Remember, was it Vinny Testaverde with the Jets? Remember, there was like a horrible call in a Jets-Seahawks game, and and that really got the groundswell to bring back replay review because they had it and they got rid of it. It's been back for over 20 years, but they originally had a hard time limit on how much time was available because if you have to look at it for more than 90 seconds, it's not clear and obvious. Right. It's not indisputable visual evidence, as they used to call have, it. Have they made so, a comment on this at all or anything there? Have you seen anything that's uh, – Well, tried, I, yeah. I, I have I – have, I have, I have, the rest of the story that I'm going to share with you in a second. But before that, somebody from another team pointed out to me that the last play of the third quarter in the Eagles-Lions game week one, there was a catch by TJ Hawkinson that was challenged by Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And when you go back and look at that, it's even more clear that it wasn't a catch than Samuel. But it wasn't clear and obvious that the ruling on the field was incorrect, so right. it was upheld. Right. So, again, it's, it's always remember the standard. Here's the rest of the story. And, and I had a communication with someone in the league office about the NFL Plus product, which I utilize to watch the games again. It's the next generation of what used to be called Game Pass. The old Game Pass feature is part of NFL Plus. There's all sorts of other stuff there. But to have access to all the games, condensed full broadcast, and all 22 film. It's, it's indispensable for anyone in this business or anyone who cares about the NFL. But with the condensed version, they leave stuff out. And they didn't used to leave stuff out. Like, I watched the Vikings-Packers game last week mm-hmm. on NFL Plus, condensed version. The action begins with the Vikings on the other side of the 50. And I got, I got in touch with somebody in the league office and said, hey, your condensed version doesn't start. Well, no, we're leaving off non-essential plays. The Vikings get to the other side of the 50. Like, I'd like to know how they got there, yeah, right, you know, right. without having to look up the game book right. and scroll through the stats. Yeah. That's why I'm watching the condensed version. I mentioned that, Chris, because if you watch the condensed version of Chargers Chiefs that's available on NFL Plus, the play that we've just spent, 
10 minutes talking about isn't there. Oh, wow. It's not there. There's no reference to it, no mention of it. It's like it never even happened. How can anyone deem that moment was not to be inconsequential? Right, yeah. How? How? And and look, I I just this is the kind of stuff that that can somehow sometimes get me at odds with the league office, but folks, you got to be transparent about this stuff. Mistakes happen. There are reasons for people to question and we know people are trying to do their best. The human error is part of it, but reacting to the human error is part of what we do. If you brush it under the rug, it just makes it worse. So it makes us look and harder. I don't know who, like who made the decision. Who's making the decision what's essential and not essential to these condensed versions of the game? And who in the hell thought that that play was not essential to understanding the full experience of what transpired last Thursday night? I was stu- Somebody emailed me, go back and watch that. You won't find that play. And I did. And holy crap, that play isn't there. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that is weird. That is. I mean, of course, you can go on all 22 and watch it there and, and all of that. But, yeah, that's uh... – I, I just the play overall. Well, it's in the full broadcast. It's yeah. in the, look, you watch. It's not yeah. omitted from the full broadcast. No, but it but was a huge part of the game. Not even in the condensed, condensed version yeah. of the game. Yeah, right. most. I, I don't say most people, but a lot of people. It's a, the condensed game is a great way to see what happened in a game without investing three hours. Exactly right. I'm with you. No, there's no doubt. I do it a little on Fridays and Saturdays when there's a few games I haven't watched. That's you know, let me turn on a condensed game and I'm eating some breakfast just to get a little feel for this one. I didn't get a great look at it this week on film or or didn't watch it real closely last week during the, you know, Sunday one o'clock hour. It's it's perfect. It's amazing for that. There's no question. It's good to see you've evolved past reading the back of the cereal box at breakfast. Uh, yeah, well you know I don't read. Come on. <laughs> read here's uh here's another one and we talked about this earlier in the week miles simmons and i but chris this was a moment in the saints bucks game that extended a drive at a time when the bucks were in the aftermath of that mike evans marshawn Lattimore fight and the bucks rose up and the saints didn't this is bradley roby getting called for unnecessary roughness at best i would call it attempted unnecessary roughness I assume he's being flagged here for the lowering the helmet and making contact with an opponent. The problem is he didn't do it. He didn't do it. No. His helmet didn't hit him. No. And the shoulder to the head is not a violation because Cameron Braid has made the transformation from defenseless receiver to running back who accepts the possibility he's going to get hit in the head by a shoulder, by an elbow, by whatever. There's no foul here. And that's a key moment because that's fourth down. They're going to punt there. There's no it's doubt. Third and ten. Right. They're two yards short. They're going to punt there, or maybe they go for it. Who knows? In this age of analytics, but still, it was a game condition and situation that was critical. And there's 15 yards and a fresh set of downs. This is the kind of stuff that should be subject to some sort of replay review because that's just a bad call. It's pitiful. Pitiful call. Watched it live. And if I'm remembering correctly, this is also on a drive that was extended because the, the, the Saints, what, had 12 people on the punt play maybe? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was another play. But either way, it was a crucial part of this football game. You're right. And it's a pitiful call. It's a game-changing type call right here. And one, there's not forcible – there's no forcible contact here. You could, too, make the argument that Cameron Brait lowers his head before Roby does, all right? But they never call it on the offense. And this is, to me, just the referee interjecting himself in the game and trying to make him feel he's got to feel like he's got to do something here. 
He hasn't thrown a flag in a while, so I need to throw one now for my grade sheet by the NFL. I just horrible. That, that was a horrible call. That's where, that's one where you look at, you know, you, you feel bad for Dennis Allen, the Saints. You just go, I, I, you know, what, what do you, what do you want us to do there? You just, we got screwed over by the refs in a big situation, kept our defense on the field, tired them out, and yeah, of course Brady and them are going to make. You keep giving them chances like that, they're going to make some plays. Now, I've been saying this for years. You can't have that kind of field position at play and not have some mechanism for fixing it with replay review because the official just got it wrong. And again, they're doing their best. It's real time. Every football season, at some point, I explain in detail what it means to be out there among the gladiators without any type of protection, with the naked eye trying to process flashes. Things are happening so quickly you do need the support of replay review or sky judge. I know they have a modified sky judge now, but that's a moment where that flag should have been picked up and there needs to be a mechanism for fixing that mistake in real time. So we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Three and days they went later, down and scored a an touchdown. Example, right. As an example of something that went wrong in a game that was as the margins get more and more narrow in these games, it's more and more important for those kinds of moments to be avoided. Here's Justin Fields fourth. Oh, oh, I I skipped one. Keanu Neal, same game. Sorry. Same game. Buccaneers safety. Keanu Neal gets flagged for unnecessary roughness for a hit on Jameis Winston. Let's have a look at whether or not this is something that rises to the level of, of what the, what the, what was it? I don't, Chris, it, what, it, what it's over officiating. I don't know what to say. That's it's just Levante a, David, by the way. Where's Keanu Neal? He's 22. He's Levante the guy that, David. like, right here. Oh, he's this coming is in right over here. Top. Right. Like, he was supposed to know mid dive that Jameis Winston's leg was on the ground. I mean, he's already committed himself. These quarterbacks are good. They break tackles like this from time to time. I mean, he's not even close. I mean, yes, the knee went down. He's still in the process of going down. And can't, it's just, it's over-officiating. What are we doing? I mean, it wasn't egregious. Nobody watching that game was sitting there going, oh, Keanu Neal, late hit. He was a late hit. Nobody was. He's still in the process of going to the ground, and it's hard to tell as we're watching here on TV if Jameis Winston's knee is down in that process. I just, and it's not a forcible blow. He was very smart in what he did. He, As he's going in here and lowering himself, right now he's starting to look, he starts to realize, and he kind of like has his hands there. I just, yeah, to me it, it's too much. It's too much on the protection of the quarterback. And that angle, that angle there, though, I mean, I understand that if you pull up, there's a chance the quarterback's going to get away, and then you've blown your opportunity to get him to the ground. The angle from behind, though, I, I, it's it, look in slow motion. It's easier to say, well, he should have stopped. But how do you? St- what do you do there to stop yourself? What no, do you do? And there's legs. Do you dive on to, Do you dive onto Levante David and no. potentially injure him? Well, the, so you don't hit right. the quarterback yeah. as you're already committed to falling. There's legs around do? him. There's trash around him. He's he's getting his legs off the ground so he doesn't get stuck. You know, and get his knee in some vulnerable position. You know, again, that that to me is just it's way too ticky tack there. It's way too overprotective of the quarterback. It wasn't that gre- egregious. It wasn't a forcible blow. It was very close. You know, I just I'd like to see those ones where the referee just keeps the flag in his pocket. All right, now we'll move on to Justin Fields, the Bears quarterback in shotgun formation for some reason on fourth and goal. 
the challenge was thrown by the Bears because the ruling on the field was he didn't get the ball to the plane. And remember, all the ball has to do is kiss the front of that white stripe. The spot was he was short. And here's the issue with replay review. And I remember Dean Blandino explaining this to me years ago when he was the senior VP of officiating. Even if common sense tells you that the ball was over the plane or at the plane, we have to physically see ball crossing plane before we come to the conclusion that it did. Even if all the angles would suggest the ball was there, it was across the plane, we have to actually see it. You know, it reminds me of that. What was that Dalvin Cook fumble? In the that was the Bengals game. Yeah, last, last year. year. Remember that right. where it was, butt was obviously on the ground. fumbled the ball. Yeah, it's obvious, but but you couldn't see that the ball wasn't out when his butt was on the ground. You have to. Where's the ball there? You, yeah. it's like we know it's in there, and we know. Look, yeah, yeah, that's made it to the. But but we have to actually. That's a, this is the way the league does it. We have to actually see the ball. He explained it to me in the context of a punt that hit a guy's leg and you could see the ball change direction so it was obvious the ball hit the guy's leg but he said we have to actually see the ball hit the leg to constitute clear and obvious evidence. It gets back to what we were talking about earlier. This is an example of the standard of clear and obvious they evidence applied being it right. respected. Right. They applied it the way that they right. mean to. Yeah. This isn't fresh officiation of the play. This is clear and obvious evidence isn't there the ruling on the field was incorrect yeah. even if the ruling on the field may have been incorrect yeah right right it's a tough one i mean you know even if the ruling on the this is it's it's really close you know yeah my gut you know wants to say that he did cross the line here by an inch or so it does but it's not clear and obvious to to the points we've been talking about here you know the balls in his left hand you know, we see it there, but can I say that it's definitely over the, the the goal line there at that point? I can't. I can't definitely say that. I think they did the right thing there. There's there's no doubt. And I think, yes, to, to the point of the other ones, they're like the Asante Samuel interception. That was the call in the field. It was not clear and obvious that it went over the goal line. So the call in the field is upheld. Another example of how tight the margins are in today's NFL, though, because if that's a touchdown – and the Bears get there, one point, 24-17 becomes the score. Different vibe down the stretch. No doubt. And 27-10 looks like you know moderate ass kicking. Right. And that just shows you that moment that it was closer and it could have gone the other way and how it comes down to those critical decisions that are made in real time with replay review sometimes, sometimes without. It can really make the difference in a game. It can make the difference in a season. Here's Dolphins running back Chase Edmonds. He was flagged for tripping against the Baltimore Ravens during that barn burner in Baltimore. And uh, let's take a look at what's going on here. He He's the back that picks up the, He's you know, the back who, right, he's the back who picks up the blitz. Right. And, Got and big his legs 96. go up. Right. And down goes the defensive player. There he is. The fake, He's got to pick up the, uh, the, uh, the... There's a little... Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a tough the one. The legs go up. They the go legs up. go up. I know, you know, he's also going that way. I mean, you know, it's, I don't. There's another one where I just go. I'd like to see that not called. It, it's, it's, uh, he, like tripping is like. Did he definitively stick out the leg and trip the guy? Did he stick it out and try to trip him as he goes by? You know, the yeah. There's, there's, there's all that covered. This to me is more of like, wait, no, you got steamrolled, and he's almost like in fetal position, just going like, oh gosh, he's running me over. 
and he happens to trip over him there. I just I wish that wasn't called. I, I wouldn't like to see this this one. Just let it go. This is football, and sometimes things like this happen. I agree with you. There's a fundamental difference between the dirty, cheap tripping of someone. You stick your leg out as they're walking by, and they fall flat on their face, and something like this where you're caught up in the body, the trash, like you were talking about earlier, right. there's arms and there's legs everywhere. I don't know why it should even be a foul in that situation. But if we are going to have a general ban on tripping, you know it when you see it. And to me, if if tripping is broadly prohibited, that was tripping. But I can agree with your take that maybe that kind of tripping shouldn't be the classic, you know, some guy's being a jerk and just popping his leg out there exactly. at the last minute to make a guy fall down. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't look at it that way. I didn't. I just thought that was, you know, look back to the phrase I like to use, you know, rubbing his race in there. It's just, it's, that's part of the game there. Legs got tangled. He ran them over. And yeah, it was just unfortunate. But you know, I, again, I, what, what did what did, like what did people want Chase Edmonds to do? Like just lay on the ground like a dead body and be like, "Oh, go! I'm dead here. Make the outline around me." Like that's it. That's not realistic either. You know, you're protecting yourself a little bit as you're getting run over by Broderick Washington, who's 290 pounds there. And I didn't think that was an intentional act of tripping by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, just to me, a little over officious uh, when we see some of these. Hey, you over-officious jerk, to right. use a Mark Levy, Levy line. Right. Started the show today and <laughs> mentioned him again. Here's one that, that drives me crazy when I see it because they don't shut the play down when they should when there's a clear false start. Usually it's the tackles. Watch the right guard there. I don't even know like, how you moving, miss this. Right. Clearly moving before the snap. That angle doesn't no show one, the guard as much. Yeah. No. No, but but the, the other angle, it shows the guard shift in his stance. You have committed false start, illegal procedure. You've moved early, and it should have been flagged. It should have been called. But, Chris, I see it more and more with the left and the right tackle. I do, too. Taking a step back into his pass block set early. Right. And they never call that. And I think it's as simple as the play's begun – there's already been contact. We don't want there to be wasted contact. Let's just let the play go. Nobody wants to blow the whistle and end the play. Like you have that little grace period where you can start just a half second early. It's the flip side of the grace period you get when the play clock goes to zero. We're not going to shut the play down. We're just going to go ahead. The play's begun. But this is more egregious than that. He shifted clearly a a full beat before they snapped the ball. They should have blown the whistle and ended this play. A, a, a full beat. Exactly right. And, you know, yeah, and for, for everyone watching out there, yeah, you got to watch, you know, right guard 64 there. This is the one that shows it. Look, he looks back and then puts his butt there down and goes. Flag! Right. Whistle! That, We've that's... seen that a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I, I'm with your broader point, this this is something, you know, producer Matt Casey, we're sitting next to each other in football night in America watching the games. Uh, I, you're right. How, how many times did we see this on Sunday? These type of plays to what you're talking about. The tackle getting a little bit of a jump start on the play because he's worried about a speed pass rusher and them letting it go. It, it, there's, I, I would say during the 1 o'clock hour, there was five to eight plays where we went, where everybody in the room went, whoa, that looked like it was a false start, and they just let it go. And yet this is where it annoys me because when the G defense times a snap just perfectly – the, the the referee goes well. That didn't look right. Like I'm throwing the flag. They're stopping it right there. That that they never they never let them get away with it. 
So that's where I don't love that. And you're right; it's uh, it's gone a little, gotten swiped under the rug a little bit. That that one there. My son, who was passionately rooting for the Vikings on Monday night, was convinced that Lane Johnson, the Eagles' right tackle, was doing it all game long on Monday night. Maybe even when he wasn't, but it was just something that made him feel better about the eventual outcome of the game. Let's take a break. The outcome of Week 2 results in the Week 3 power rankings. We'll take a look at those, plus whichever input from social media that is suitable for usage, probably none. When PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues... Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. I manage such high expectations. You just play the game. You know, whenever you start thinking about Super Bowls, man, it's like it's like drinking from a fire hydrant, man. Like, you know, you just got to take it, you know, one play at a time. It's, seven, it's 17 weeks. And, um, you know, football is a humbling sport. You know, you're going to be met with adversity at some point, and we just keep preparing for that adversity. You know, whenever we're up, we keep we keep saying to each other, like, don't blink, don't let our don't let our foot off the gas. Like, it's a killer instinct. It's a blood-in-the-water instinct. And, you know, I don't know how it was before I got here, but, but now, like, we pedal to the medals. We have an attitude of domination. You know, we're not playing the game to just win the game. We're playing the game to dominate the game. And... I, I was listening... To what Vaughn Miller was saying, was yeah, but to, it's way, hard, right? Football talk power rankings presented by Google Pixel. That necklace, that chain that said Valor. Yes, there's there's no Valor in doing the power rankings. There was a big old Valor around Vaughn Miller's neck. That was something. That, that was that was impressive. It is an impressive. I mean, and the watch too. I mean, I know that that watch there. That's that's like an extremely expensive watch. Nobody can pull off like farmer chicken guy yet you know frosty ice all over himself better than von miller i've never seen a guy that has a more versatility in a, that a combination than him it's it's pretty amazing but damn yeah that was uh hey when you're rich you can buy things like that by the way these are the pft power rankings presented by google pixel learn more at googlestore.com you can learn more about what folks had to say about the power rankings if you look at our tweets and our responses. People get fired up, and I love it. Look, we I, oh, you're just doing it for clicks. Well, there's really nothing to click. We put What we do is, Monday night while watching the game, I take the prior week's power rankings. I format them for the current week. I change the records. I put where they were the prior week. And then I start. I just start moving them around while I'm watching the Monday night game, during commercials, lull in the action. I just I stack them up, and it's all driven by pasta and meatball gut feeling as to how the teams stack up. Then I finish them right after the show on Tuesday, post them, and then Kristen Coleman will send me at some point a graphic with the full 32. Once I put that on Twitter, all hell breaks loose. People lose their minds. And, and again, I've been we've been doing power rankings for years. It's not like we just stumbled over some way to to rile people up, to troll people. But man, people people get passionate about yes, where their do. teams are ranked, where they should be ranked, where they shouldn't be ranked. People get 
very animated and angry, and I have no problem with it because that passion is what brings them around in the first place to see what we have. Yeah, I, I, I get it. It is. You're right. I mean, it's it's whatever reason people really care about the number attached to their to their football team. And man, I don't envy you. You know, not right now. Week two in the NFL, you know, it it was all over the place. It's been all over the place the first two weeks. You know, again, I don't know, Mike, and I don't remember really being at like week two here and ever having like, well, we're down to just this many teams are still undefeated. Like it, it's only this many. You know, we, I think we talked about this a little during the week or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm a little shocked, I guess, by the whole thing. And it's just so jumbled up and it's hard to separate. We know who the top-tier teams are, but that middle class and bottom class, I certainly don't envy what you got to do there and trying to pick that apart. Well, look at the first three, Bills, Chiefs, Bucks, the only ones that were unchanged in the entire stack. The next 29 all moved. The Eagles are up to number four. I dropped the Rams. Even though they won, I dropped them. I think the Eagles right now are better than the Rams. I agree. I think I, I like what I've seen from the Eagles. We saw them in prime time. We saw them decisively handle the Vikings. We saw the Rams have to kind of clumsily hold together a win over the Falcons, so they get knocked down a point. Dolphins fans, not I mean, uh, happy that they're at six, but already arguing they should be higher. Hey, beat the Bills this week, and you'll be higher. But, uh, yeah, hey, the teams that I had faith in going into the season – Look at the Bengals, Chargers, and Titans. They're beginning the free fall. The Steelers starting to fall down the stack a bit. It's the Ravens in danger of being out of the top ten. It, 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 we're starting to see some of the correction, and it's it's starting to come into focus. But just when it comes into focus, you know how this goes. Yeah. Just when we start to figure it out, it all changes again. Yeah. No, it, it is. I, you know, listen. I sit there and look at your list here and go, I, I'd probably have the Dolphins in front of the Rams right now. I probably would. But I understand that. I'm not. I don't think that's egregious there. The one I look at to go where I think you're a little low on them out of this graphic right here is the Chargers at 12. I think that's the one I look at and go, eh, I think they were the better team on the field than Kansas City on Thursday night. I do. I had more moments watching that football game going, whoa, I'm concerned with the way the Chiefs looked than I did the other way around. I definitely did. And then you couple in, like you talk about a bad call on the interception. It was 17-7. Who knows where it goes from there. Uh, that, that's one I'd maybe push back on you with. Uh, everything else, you know, I don't, I don't have any issues with that totally. I don't. I, I think you're, you know, on the right track. We have a question from at Youngstown FDD. Is the Jets' 13-spot jump primarily due to Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall? Well, I, I think it's primarily due with the Browns blowing their opportunity to win the game by not running out the clock and not staying in bounds, uh, not just once with Nick Chubb, but twice before that with Kareem Hunt. But the door was left open just ever so slightly, and the Jets took advantage of it. Garrett Wilson, they're convinced he's going to be a star in this league. He was a superstar on Sunday in his second career game back in his home state of Ohio. And I, I just I kind of like that that never say die. The teams that came back this weekend deserve credit for not giving up and finding a way to bend reality in their favor. Because you know how hard it is when you're getting yeah. your ass kicked and, and it's just one of those days and it's not your day to get off the mat and to, to get that, that first uppercut that stuns the team that's leading. And then the next thing you know, it's Rocky Balboa lifting Apollo Creed off the mat with with shots to the ribs, and then you somehow win. 
that's a testament to the kind of grit and toughness and resilience we're looking for in teams. I know. I believe. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. There's, there's a lot to respect there. Having said that, I still think you're being too nice to the Jets. I do. And I probably wouldn't even have put them in front of the Browns still. And I just would have pissed off all the Jets fans out there and just go, no. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't sit here and go, oh, the Jets are better than the Browns, even though they won that football game. I go, the Browns are stupid with the way they managed the end of that football game. I mean, we talked a little bit yesterday with Goats in a Bad Way draft. We didn't even, like, totally emphasize the rest of that, what went on. The fact that, you know, what did we have, two plays before the two-minute warning where we had Browns players, Browns running backs, Kareem Hunt, right, and Nick Chubb go out of bounds? Like, the game should have been over. It should have been over. I don't know how that happens. Obviously, the messages are not being relayed from the sideline there. So that's where I just want to be, uh, you know, that, that's just, that was a tough loss. Um, the Jets, I do give them credit, but, you know, crap. I'd probably still put the Browns in front of them. Two quick points before we break. Yeah. One, the folks in Denver are still ha- unhappy about where the Broncos are, and that's, they've been the most vocal. We had them at 19 to start the season. They were pissed off about that. Now they're unhappy that they're at number 25. DNVR Broncos tweeted last night, the Broncos are the eighth worth team in the NFL here based on these rankings. These are indeed the worst rankings ever. My response, I wanted to revise them, but the play clock expired. (laughs) Take that, Broncos. You deserve where you are. Broncos fans, you got to earn and own this one. You've earned it. You've got to own it. This team is struggling right now, even though they're one and one Last one, Chris. Yeah. And I didn't didn't know what to expect by doing this. I've never done this before. Right. I I did a full-blown Indianapolis Colts free fall. I see that. From 14 to 32 who else would be there who else is the worst team right now they're winless and they got shut out in jacksonville how hard is it in today's nfl to not score a point you have the game is set up to score points and you can't score a single point in jacksonville against the jaguars team that is still trying to rebuild from the urban meyer debacle there's no one else that deserves to be number 32 right now. It is the Colts. It's an they were it was an ass whooping. I mean, I, I watched this back on Monday and, and watched it pretty. Clear. It was an ass whooping. Like there was there, it wasn't like oh man, they hit a few things go. Oh, it was close. Like they just got a little unlucky. It wasn't one of those. It was absolutely smothering and concerning for the Colts. A hundred percent there. I don't know if I would have made them 32. I don't know who else. Who else? I guess the Falcons I look at a little maybe to be in that conversation. The Colts do have a tie at least, but I, I don't know. Mike, you're, you're right. It, it's hard. I don't know who else either. It's, it's, a, it's a very short list of view. I just wonder that if like some guy that I work with is a little bitter because he picked that team at 32 to be in the Super Bowl, and they're 32 right now. I just, I just wonder. I, no, I didn't pick him to be in the Super oh, Bowl. You I didn't? picked the Chiefs to be in the Super Bowl. Okay. I picked him to be in the AFC Championship <laughs> okay, game, though. Okay, okay, good. All right. <laughs> so, but I, hear I don't you. have to worry about – I don't have to worry <laughs> about my, my, uh, yeah, my Super Bowl team from the AFC yet. But I definitely have to worry about one of the. They won't be hanging an AFC finalist banner this year. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the latest on the Buccaneers Saints brawl when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Google Pixel. Late last night, we reported on PFT that the NFL has sent a warning letter to Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers about his presence literally on the sideline. It's okay to be on the sideline generally, 
but not on the sideline when you're not a member of the coaching staff. Haven't seen the warning letter, but I'm told it was sent. And a source with knowledge of the situation predicts that Bruce Arians will comply with the directive that was made by the league office. Meanwhile, Chris, Mike Evans appealed his one-game suspension. There was a hearing yesterday. James Thrash, former NFL receiver, handled that hearing, independently hired and paid by the league and the union. That's good they used him. expected today. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, Mike. I don't know if we, we talked on this. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just was – I think it's good that they made James Thrash because there was, a, there was talk or, right, that – John Runyon might be the one that, that no, might. Runyon's already made the decision. Good. Runyon makes the initial decision. Okay. And then it's James Thrash right. or okay. Derek Brooks I'm mixed on up a on rotating mine. basis. Right, right. But you're, you're, you're on to something. And yeah. I wrote about this yesterday. Yeah. Because and there's nothing wrong with spotting potential conflicts of interest. Yeah. Because Shefty on Monday night was talking about how John Runyon's son plays for the Packers. Right. So, you know, there's a, a bias there potentially. Runyon doesn't just make the decision on his own. He's got people yeah, in the league that are checking with. this, right? And it's still subject to appeal, right? So then that sparks people saying, "Well, Derek Brooks should yeah, handle this appeal because right. he played for the Buccaneers." Right. But it's got—I mean, these are stand-up individuals. First off, at some point, at some point, you just have to acknowledge that there's going to be tentacles connecting people to others, and at least we know about them. Yeah, it's the biases we don't know about that are far more insidious. Yeah. If Derek Brooks had gotten this assignment, he goes into it, we go into it. Everyone goes into it knowing that he's a former Buccaneer. Right. And if anything, if anything, it may cause him to, to skew the other way. Right. So or, he doesn't yeah. appear to be biased. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Or to, to your point, there's other tentacles out there. Or, or maybe, I don't know, who knows what Derek Brooks does. His old linebacker coach for years and years is the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Backers and Joe Barry. So, you know, again, it's, you don't know. And these are stand-up individuals that are doing things, you know, that are capable of not being biased in these situations. I, I do believe that because, you know, just like you're capable of and I'm capable of saying critical things about people we know that we know that we have relationships with. It's not always easy, but it's like, oh, no, wait, I know this guy. He's a good guy, and we talk and text sometimes and blah, 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 but what he did on Sunday was still wrong, and they handled the situation wrong. It doesn't mean like we just make up BS to cover our ass because we text them every now and then. So that's where – you know, I, I think everybody's got to respect that a little bit. When they inevitably show images of Bruce Arians this weekend, when it's Packers at Buccaneers in the big late after afternoon slot on Fox, where do you think Arians will be? In the booth or on the side? I think he'll definitely be in the booth. I think he'll be in the booth. They're going to, I, you know, yeah, I think he's going to want to comply with the NFL. I would think Bruce even would know, you know, maybe – Maybe I did get too much. Somebody had told him he got too much attention on the sideline last week and that it just was too much and that he'll realize, okay, this maybe is not good for the overall football team all the way, even though he's, you know, a great supporter. And, and like we said, he's, he wants to get in the thick of things with the rest of the football team. Whether it's Bill Parcells when he became a VP of football operations, Tom Coughlin in that job, Mike Holmgren when he was the surrogate owner in Cleveland, it's hard for a football coach to be at a football game and not behave as a football coach. I will understand that side of it from Bruce Aaron's perspective, but that's where the obligation falls on others to steer him away from a situation where, because you coach the team for multiple years, you won a Super Bowl, you're down there. It, it's a magnet that's going to draw you yes. into it, that, that stripe area. But 
the league, I think, wisely said, you can't do this, and we'll see if he complies. It's just another storyline to keep an eye on as the 2022 season continues to roll along. When we return, though, we'll take a look at the winless teams with a draft of those 0-2 franchises or 0-1-1 in which we have the most faith. We'll do that when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Put this behind us and refocus on what you can control in practice, refocus on what the game, because we have the talent. We have a great coaching staff. We have great players. Um, I don't think that there's any big message that these guys are having to hear right now just having met with the team, met with the captains, met with all, you know, it's, this team is still in a really good spot. And when you haven't won a game, the outside world is is going to uh, react how they should until you win. And so that's just part of what we signed up for. That's part of what's being, being so great about being in the arena. And you just, you just continue to work hard and, and good things will happen when you just trust the process and trust in what you're putting in. And um, I got a lot of belief in this team and, and, uh, until you win, the narrative is going to be the narrative, and that's fine. Very easy to stay calm when you just got a contract extension and you work for a team that doesn't like to pay buyouts. That said, uh, winless teams through the first two weeks. Chris, there are seven of them. I don't know how we're going to pick six out of these that we have faith in. I don't yeah, know which ones I have faith in. We're going to get to some point. Don't. You're right. Then we're just going to We're going to get yeah. to a point where we just pull the plug on the draft that we just don't have faith. <laughs> but yeah. but give, me, give me the one that stands out to you the most in which you have faith. You know what? Um, it's not them and that guy right there right now. It's not. I'm, so I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans here. I just, you know, again, I, I guess I believe in the coach too much. I do. The style of football they play, you know, you know, watching that game back yesterday, I know they got their butt kicked and all that, but there was there was opportunities where that game wasn't quite as bad as it looked. I guess to, I'm trying to say, I understand Buffalo was special there, but uh, I guess I just have faith that their running game will come along. You know, Tannehill, I I don't look at him to be a problem, at least not yet, certainly not. And then the defense with Mike Vrabel, you know, heading that 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 part of the down. I just I look at it and think oh, there's enough talent. There were some injuries on that side of the ball. I, I they're the team I look. And then they're in a, a weak division that I think they're the team I look at to have the most confidence in and can get this thing turned around. I've heard from a lot of upset Titans fans about the fact that they're on two. Look, you set a certain expectation by being the one seed. Should have beat the Giants. You lose you lose a game in the postseason that. Yeah, I think you should have won. Right. Then you lose a game that you had won against the Giants. Then you get blown off the field. It's a recipe for consternation. I know a lot of people complaining about offensive coordinator Todd Downing. Who knows how it goes for the Titans? But I agree with you. I have faith in Mike Vrabel finding a way to make it work and turn it around. They got blown out week one last year, 38-13 to 13 by the Cardinals right. at home, and they right. still ended up being the one seed. And they're still in the weakest division right now in football. That's right. I'll take the Bengals here Yeah. just because of Joe Burrow. I figure they'll find a way, but it won't surprise me if they continue to struggle. It won't surprise me if they regress this year. Uh, there are still flaws in that organization, deeper flaws. I'll give you an example. The Bengals continue to not guarantee money beyond the first year of a veteran contract for anyone other than a quarterback. Maybe they could have gotten Ryan Jensen away from the Buccaneers if they were offering something more competitive. Now, I know Ryan Jensen is currently hurt. That doesn't mean he would have gone to Cincinnati and gotten hurt. My point is, maybe they could have been in a position to get a better grade of upgrade at offensive line if they were willing to commit dollars 
beyond the first year. The contract is fully guaranteed. Those are the subtle ways that a dysfunctional team can stay dysfunctional even as it tries to become fully functional with a franchise quarterback. So the bottom line is the offensive line is still not good. But I have enough faith in Burrow and Jamar Chase and what they did last year to think at some point they'll start winning these football games. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That, that would have been my next pick. I, and there's still a lot of positives about their roster and their team. Their defense has played pretty damn good too. You know, but but yeah, the offensive line is the number one concern, and it's it's two weeks in a row where it's just the damn breaks way too often, and Joe Burrow is not, unable to look downfield or have any time to let something with Jamar Chase or them develop, and that's that's concerning. But uh, I think out of what we have to pick here, that would have been my second pick as well. Now it gets dicey, it really does, and I don't know where to go here. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the the Las Vegas Raiders. I am. I, I you know and again. I don't know if it's gonna turn around to a point where they're gonna be a playoff football team. I mean, last year I think it just fell right. I was shocked they were in the playoffs to begin with. Now they're trying to play a different style of football, like we've talked about. I don't think they got their kind of guys to totally run the McDaniel's offense or the Patrick Graham defense there. But with Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, and at least in the fact in both games, they've looked good. They had chances against the Chargers in week one and had moments of looking really good in week two. And, you know, just, man, just couldn't finish the job, really. Are going to, Hunter Renfro doesn't fumble. They're, they're probably going to kick a field goal and win. You know, just couldn't make that one play to stay on the field to keep Kyler Murray off the field there. So it hasn't been horrible with the Raiders. There's been a lot of positives there. I'll, I'll go with them. So far, we've gone AFC, 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 even though by far it is the better conference. I'm going to jump over to the NFC. And between the Panthers and the Falcons, I'll go Falcons because they were up 16 in the fourth quarter over the Saints. And, yes, they blew it. That's a negative for them. But also they they, they hung in there against the Rams, and they haven't really been using Kyle Pitts yet. They are going to try to make that happen. Drake London had a solid game against the Rams. Marcus Mariota has looked pretty good. They, 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 again, in a, in a conference where that six and seven seed is up for grabs, I think they're in a position where maybe they could turn it around even with an 0-2 start, especially since they're shoulder-to-shoulder with the Panthers at 0-2 in their division. One of those two teams could wake it up and become competitive, so I'll go Falcons. And let's go ahead and break. Yeah. We have one more round to go of the winless teams in which we have the most faith, if any faith at all. We'll do that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, concludes right after this. All right, there are three winless teams left and two spots on our draft. And I don't understand. Who do we believe in? I don't know, Chris. Of the remaining three winless teams on the list, give me one more in which you have any faith whatsoever. I'm going to go with the Colts here. This is where I will go with them. I mean... They still have Jonathan Taylor. Matt Ryan has not looked great, and I do worry about his lack of arm and ability to really scare a defense. It's certainly there. But I still think there's a, you know, it's a pretty good defensive unit. Shaquille Leonard should be back. They didn't have Michael Pittman Jr. last week. Uh, I, we've seen them start off poor before and rebound in the Frank Reich era, so I'll go with them here, but I, I am concerned about them. Yeah, I am too, and – Matt Ryan, just, you know, you never know when the wheels are going to fall off, and it could be the wheels are falling off for the 11th best quarterback in the National Football League. I'll go Carolina (laughs) Panthers, and 
uh, uh, for the same reasons the Falcons. The NFC is wide open. The Panthers could be 2-0. and I'm just concerned it's going to crumble quickly for Matt Rule, who may do a great job next year at Nebraska the way things are currently going in Charlotte. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's the right pick. That would probably be the team, you know. Carolina's got some things, you know, to like about their team. You know, they shot themselves in the foot early in the game last week with the opening kickoff return fumble, get the ball back, Robbie Anderson fumbles, so they're behind, they battle back, it looks like they have control of the football game. You know, they're just, yeah, they're, there's, there's week one, they battle back, and you think, oh my gosh, they're going to pull off the upset against the Browns, so they haven't been out of it by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, to what, to what you're saying a little, I mean, there's, there's not a team that plays the, the Panthers where the Panthers are just going to be physically overwhelmed or outclassed. And they got a lot of good-looking players. They just got to figure out a way to make some, a few more plays on offense and get this thing rolling. And there really are only five 0-2 teams at this point. Not really. That's it. There's two that are 0-1-1, and five that are 0-2. And all those stats we've heard in the past about X percent of 0-2 teams ever make it to the playoffs. Remember, this is the second year only of 17 games. It all changes when you add an extra game. There are 15 games to go. There is a long way left for these panic. teams to turn it around. So yeah. maybe several of them will end up in the playoffs by the time it's all said and done. We are said and done for this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Tomorrow... Another two hours and the Mega Picks podcast. Chris, I don't think either of us want to see our results from last week. No, they weren't we good. I know that. But I don't two. think that a lot of people had a great week gambling last week. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Have a great see day. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.